Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today we're looking at the topic of storing heat. Now, as we use more renewable heat and electrify more heat, then storage will become more important as we'll need to decouple when heat's produced from when heat's being used. There are quite a lot of ways to do this, but today we'll be focusing on heat batteries. I'm sure most listeners will be familiar with electric batteries, but you can also get heat batteries and specifically heat batteries using phase change material. And to explore this, I'm joined by two guests, Andrew Bissell, CEO of heat battery company Sunamp, and Clara Otterson, one of our experts on the topic here at Delta EE. So let's say hello. Uh, hello, Andrew, let's start with you. Hi, uh, very, very nice to be on the show. Thanks, Andrew. Now, my guess is that uh, some of our listeners won't have come across Sunamp before, and I'm sure you're excited to, to change that. Uh, could you give a few facts and figures about Sunamp and the sort of headline description of the company to get us going? Sure. Um, so about 15 years ago, um, I was exiting a medical imaging software company and choosing between a life on the beach, uh, relaxing, uh, or, or or giving it another another go at doing uh, an entrepreneurial startup business, um, and, and you didn't choose a life on the beach, did you? <laughs> I didn't choose a life on the beach, um, but to be honest, the beach sort of came into it. I, I was living in a house uh, in Edinburgh at the at the seaside. Um, a lot of people don't know that Edinburgh is a beautiful seaside uh, with a beautiful you know two mile long beach or whatever it is in Portobello and Joppa, and. Um, I was looking at the the water and thinking, what happens if there's a meter rise in sea level, which is what's project what was projected as the outer limits of what yeah. could happen under the climate change, um, uh, the IPCC yeah. sort of consensus at the time. Yeah. And that 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 motivated me to start Sunam, and and what what that became was a company that focused very strongly into thermal energy storage in very compact form. So our view was that, you know, if, if we didn't solve the problem of how do we do thermal energy storage, we would never stabilize the full energy system into a net zero system. And yeah. if, if the products were too big, nobody would be able to put them in the homes people live in. Okay. Motivation. So would you describe yourself as a developer or manufacturer or vendor of all of those of, of yeah we're, 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 we're all of those yeah in, yep. in the early days we were a developer of technology we, we created some you know radical innovations that are patented now um, then we became a manufacturer because you know you have to be able to make them uh, and now we sell those products at scale. We, we're we're about twenty thousand units into selling a thing that we would call a heat battery. So okay. We're our fourth generation product now, the Thermino product. Geography. So you still living in Edinburgh, but what's your international yeah. footprint? I, I I still live in Edinburgh. The company is is headquartered in the Edinburgh area uh, and has its fa main factory here. Um, but we're we're selling all over the world. We have a, a sister factory under license in, in South Korea, 
we sell in China, we sell in Korea, we sell in multiple countries across Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that will become much more intense over the next year. Uh, but already, for example, in the Netherlands, we sell with Flamco. Uh, they sell under, under their brand, a product that we, yeah. we developed for them. Um, and we just opened a, an office in New York City uh, to enter the US market. Very exciting. Um, and last question in terms of sort of facts and figures and who are some rough number of people. You said selling yeah. about 20,000 units a year or that, or sold about 20,000 units in total. Um, we're talking sort of tens, hundreds, a few tens of people. Hey, we're, we're, we're 60 or so people today. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going up quite fast. Yeah. Um, about um, 15 of them are in the factory uh, making the product. Uh, yeah. Maybe another 15 are in our materials and engineering teams uh, developing product. Uh, and then the rest are involved in all the functions around sales and administration that make it that make it work on a commercial basis. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. And I guess for the energy transition, very pleased to hear that you're not sitting on a beach, but you're developing a crucial part of the transition. Well, um, I hope that will work out well for everybody. I mean, that's certainly, you know, it's the only motivation that would keep you doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's come back, uh, Andrew, to you shortly. Let's say hello to our second guest, Clara Otterson. Hello, Clara. Hi, John. Um, Clara, can you contextualize um, heat batteries a bit? How new are they? Is it a brand new innovation? And, and how does it fit into the wider topic of thermal storage? Sure. Well, I mean, thermal storage ranges from very large scale interseasonal storage in, in gravel pits and, and aquifers. But then we also have residential storage in the form of inertia from the building and, and what we're all familiar with, hot water cylinders. Uh, heat batteries belong to the residential applications of thermal storage, uh, but are distinguished from uh, traditional thermal stores like hot water cylinders by the fact that they they have a greater energy density and they're smart and can optimize the heat charging and discharging, uh, what we like to call advanced thermal storage. And heat batteries in residential applications is still a fairly small market, um, but we are seeing more propositions emerging from from new and young companies. Okay, so yeah, thermal storage isn't a new topic then many of us will have thermal storage in our homes through as you say a hot water tank yeah um, yeah or just in the walls yeah the inertia of the building yeah. heat up your building and it stays warm even if you switch Hopefully. the heating <laughs> off yeah if it's uh, um okay that's really helpful and the bit that's special about heat batteries then is the compactness yeah exactly yeah so that they're they have a higher energy density than than water which is the traditional thermal storage in, in, in buildings yeah Andrew, anything else that's super special about heat batteries in addition to that that density of storage, or is that really, in a nutshell, what makes so, heat batteries different? The, the way the way we make them, we we also took a very, I think, bold decision very early on, which was we put vacuum insulation panel in the wall of the heat mm-hmm. battery. That was quite an expensive decision at the time we did it. Um, over time, we've been able to crunch the cost down. On that yeah but it means that we get an a plus rating on the european energy label and on the uk energy label as it is now um and that means that a product which uh would if it was a hot water tank be rated lose mm-hmm. 
1.4 kilowatt hours per day of heat energy to to the house um, loses in our range 0.7 kilowatt hours per day. So we have roughly the heat loss compared with a good hot water cylinder. Okay. And we we are about a quarter of the heat loss of an old cylinder, one with a sort of red jacket or a mm. or a very thin layer of green insulation. That's a thousand kilowatt hours a year of of so, energy saving. So for a hot water tank, if our listeners have got one at home, they'll be familiar with it cooling down over many hours, days. An electric battery, people won't think of the electricity leaking away, not over hours and days anyway. So it's really very similar to an electric battery, uh, except you, um, yeah, an electric battery you can charge and then discharge. I guess it's the same as an electric battery and it's just heat. So you can charge the heat uh, in the battery and then you can discharge it out to a heating system, to hot water, to whatever you want. It, it, it's really interesting that on, on a 24-hour cycle, um, we, we would be about 95% or so of the energy you put in, you'll get back. Yeah. Yeah. And an electric battery is probably similar yeah, because it has yeah. losses going in and losses coming out. So I think you're absolutely right. And it's probably one of the reasons we chose the term heat battery. Yeah. Um, Although actually, it turns out we weren't original in doing that. And and I think it's really worth saying that we pay huge respect to the people that went before us. Um, back to Maria Telkes, for example, in the 1940s in the US, uh, who made the first heat batteries. Mm. Um, and they were installed in a house that was commissioned by Amelia Peabody, uh, oh. the Dover Sun House. Um, and they were really successful for a while. Um, unfortunately, the chemistry at the time wasn't good enough to keep them going for a long period. And, and, and the difference today is that we've been able to perfect the chemistry yeah. and, it, and we can make them last, I'm not gonna say forever, but for 50,000 cycles at least. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's a, a really, you know, that's, that's 50 years worth of use or something like that. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's a very big, big differentiator from the beginning of this in the 40s. But yeah. it's great to know that you know we 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 are building on that legacy of researchers over the years, and we finally reached the commercialization point. Yeah. Um, Andrew, I'd like and Clara, I'd like to divide the discussion up into three parts, and possibly slightly back to front. Firstly, the challenges of growing a company, Andrew, as you described, and then secondly, looking at the use cases. So, how will heat batteries how are they being used? How will they be used? And finally, the challenge of getting heat batteries to market um, in the uh, in the wider heating market. So, Andrew, first of all, as CEO of a fast-growing company, I asked you at the beginning, are you a, a developer, a manufacturer, a vendor? And you said all of those. Yep. So you've got a lot of balls to keep in the air, a lot of plates to keep spinning. Um, how do you... How do you break that down? You know, you must worry about finance, about technology, about mm -hmm. sales, about people. Are there three legs of the stool in terms of how you break this down, or are there a lot more legs than three in how you think about it? So, I'm 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 I need to think how I frame this because um, mm -hmm. you're you're right. There are a lot of a lot of legs. Um, it, it's probably like a table and chairs rather than just you know than just a stool. <laughs> um, yeah. 
but I, I suppose it starts with you you have to have some kind of disrupt well in my in my world you have to have some kind of disruptive concept that you yeah. believe you can bring you can bring to market um you know i i'm a technology entrepreneur so i would always look for a disruptive concept starting from a you know from a, a solution an ability to solve the problem technically other mm-hmm. people come at it from you know market disruption new business models and so on yeah i probably come at it more from a technology side yeah, um, we we beavered away in a very small team for the first four or five years to get the technology kind of wrapped, you know, to to understand everything we had to do to break it down, build it back up again, and come up with something very differentiated. After how that, then in that stage, Andrew, how did you how did you pay for that? Did you need to raise money, or was it helped by you having? Uh, exited a successful business in the past yeah the latter i mean i you know we we obviously leveraged the the, the grant assistance wherever we could yeah. i mean we, we had a um a deck sbri a, a small business research and innovation award in 2013 but by that point uh, and we i think we had an innovate uk award a little bit earlier than yeah. that. but by that point we'd probably spent you know a few hundred thousand of our own money yeah. So that's that's a privileged position to be in on the back of having exited a previous business. Um, but we took full advantage of that. Um, yeah. Once you get to that stage, though, you, you, you have to start taking investment and you have to, to do that because you need to have a lot more people. Um, you can't just do it with a team of three or four. Yeah. You have to start having a team of 10 and then 20 and then 40 and then 60. And, you know, the state that's the stage we're at. And I think by 2025, we'll probably be 500 people in this organization. Um, so, you know, we, we, you have to grow the human resource in the company significantly, and people are the bedrock of yeah. being successful. And we've got a great team. When you look back, we'll look forward in a minute, but when you look back, there's the finance side, the building the team, there's finding the partners in the market, yeah. the distributors you mentioned. What bit do you look back and you think all of it's critical, but what part do you think was the hardest? Or what do you look back and think, I'm so proud, this is where it was the biggest challenge and we really overcame it? I think I think there's lots of biggest challenges. It's it's more yeah. like a hurdles race. It's an unfair <laughs> question. I know. And one, the one where you run to the line and that's it, you're over it. You know, yeah. you just you, you keep jumping hurdles. So I mean, I suppose the first thing was building a successful heat battery. Yeah. That could cycle, that could deliver, and this is really important, high flow rate hot water. That 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 that's critical because if you can't do that, you can't substitute a hot water tank. Did and that you was have, a key requirement that we set ourselves. And presumably for that requirement, it's not just a technology requirement. It's a technology for an application Correct. requirement. Absolutely. And that's a trap I've seen a lot of technology fall into, is not matching the technology requirement with the, or the, technology with the application requirement. Absolutely. Could you hone in on that straight away? Was it clear to you what that application was? Pretty much. I mean, I, in... in view at the very beginning our competitor that we wanted to disrupt was the gas combi boiler right we wouldn't get there in one bound 
but the but the the competitive set is people pulling gas, which is stored fossil energy, stored fossil sunlight, off a distribution network that means they can have a tiny device in their house that delivers them heat and hot water and makes make, makes makes their lives happy. Yeah. And and if you want to do that in a net zero way, we didn't call it net zero back then, but if you wanted to do it yeah. in a net zero way, you had to work with today's energy from the wind and the sun and store it briefly. And that meant you had to have a very, very small storage. Then actually you home in on what's the what's the highest what's the hardest bit of that to do? And actually the hardest bit to do is hot water, because hot water yeah. has the highest thermal power. Yeah. And so we did that first. Our, our view has always been climb Everest first, then all the other peaks are easier. Yeah. Okay. And then as you grew, you got the technology right for the application that you, that, that Everest application. Correct. Have there been any fundamental choices after that? Like, did you think, hmm, do we want to manufacture? Do we want to license? Are we an IP company? Are we, you know, did you have, have you had any of those cho- choices that, could have taken you in quite different directions to build on that technology you developed. I, I suppose I had uh, had had the benefit of hindsight to a previous business. So in the previous yeah. business, we were a software developer in the medical imaging space, very different. But we had the same choices about do we make our own product and sell it to the market or do we license it to OEMs? And yeah. initially we said we'll license it to OEMs and we didn't get anywhere. We, we right. were years and years talking to product managers and research and development teams who would say, I don't see the need for this, or we can do it ourselves internally. And yeah. so we then went to the market with a product and disrupted the market. And then we were able to win all the OEM relationships. In this business, we took that learning and we said, we'll build a product, go to market. And by doing so, we will encourage all the OEMs to come and talk with us. And in yeah. fact, that's exactly the trajectory that's happened. So okay. today, although I can't reveal every single name, we're probably in conversation with 50% of the global HVAC industry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Let's move on to the second part now, which is looking at how heat batteries will be used. So, Clara, can you give me some use cases uh, that you've been digging into? Yeah, exactly. So we, in our thermal storage research, we identified... Uh, three key use cases for heat batteries. Uh, first of all, they can help overcome uh, one of the key barriers for heat pump uh, installations, which is the space requirement of not only the heat pump unit, but also a big hot water tank. So in the example Andrew used of a gas combi boiler, you don't need a hot water tank. Yeah. If you're replacing a combi boiler with a heat pump, you need a heat pump and a hot water tank. So the space is then really important. Exactly. So as much yeah. as you can, you can reduce the, the space, the better. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you said, heat batteries are um, a lot more energy dense and can be more compact, but they can also reduce the energy use and, and the customer's bills by by learning use patterns and optimizing the timing of hot water production okay. uh, to to really bring benefits for the, for the customer. OK, so with heat pumps, facilitating heat pump installations. Yes. And then the second one is. It can be used together with a direct electric heating element and, and then be the, the primary heating uh, appliance in its own right um, uh, and then be a drop-in replacement for a fossil hydronic heating system. Okay, so if you've got a off-peak electricity tariff or you're on a dynamic tariff, you can use that cheap electricity. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and then store it for when you need the heat. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
And then the final one is that, uh, which we also touched upon briefly, is that heat batteries can uh, contribute to self-consumption from PV. It, it can be used uh, as a really good alternative to electric batteries and store that excess solar energy. Okay, so rather than exporting the solar energy to the grid, I can use it to do all my hot water for later that day. Or Yeah. 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 Um, Andrew, how would you put those three in order? Maybe again an unfair question. <laughs> Can you put those in order of what you're focusing on at the moment, or are they all equally exciting, or are there variations on that that you'd like to bring out? Um, you know, I think I think we can put them in. We, we probably can put them in order um, in terms of their importance to a our business and b in our view the the, the way in which the energy transition will unfold. Um, although we started with the PV application, with P PV self-consumption. Hmm. Uh, and it is an important application. It's not going to be the biggest. The biggest application out of the three you listed is going to be the enablement of heat pumps. Hmm. Um, we, we are in now probably today two, somewhere between two and 5,000 homes where, I can't give you the precise number because I don't know it, but two and 5,000 homes where where ground source heat pump on a shared ground loop in apartment buildings or air source heat pump in individual dwellings is enabled fundamentally by having this very compact store available to make the hot water to replace. And we're talking about something, by the way, the size of a slimline dishwasher. Okay, that's not a good a point size. because our listeners <laughs> might not know how big your PV is. A slimline dishwasher instead yeah. of a hot water tank that's, you know, pretty big. I mean, you know, yeah. as tall as me and as wide. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not small. Um, and, you know, so that, that differentiation, not every house needs it. I mean, some houses will be fine. There'll be, yeah. there'll be a cylinder cupboard from previously and, yeah. you know, a cylinder will go in happily. Although, you know, often people like, the safe space because they can yeah. reuse it for other purposes. But in lots of homes, that was never there, or it's been reused, or there's been an, you know there's been a modification to the use of space. So, yeah. I you know, in our view, heat pumps are terribly important. I mean, you know, right now there's there's a lot of work going on to accelerate the adoption rate for net zero reasons because of the war in Ukraine, yes. and because of the desire to massively reduce the consumption of gas, we should deploy a lot of heat pumps very fast. And if you look at it, probably in 50% of homes you'd like to deploy a heat pump into, the heat, the heat battery will be the enabler because the hot water tank won't fit. I think for particularly us, when we're looking- are the biggest application out of the three you've mentioned. Yeah. Particularly when we're looking forward, if you look at where heat pumps across Europe have uh, really succeeded to date, I think it's largely off the gas grid uh, where they've displaced oil boilers that would typically have had a, a hot water tank with them. Um, and an oil tank. And an oil tank, yeah. So uh, whereas if we look going forward, if heat pumps are going to displace natural gas, then gas boilers might emit carbon, but they're amazing products. They're compact. They produce high temperature heat, high flow rates, as you said, Andrew. So... Yeah, those space requirements, I can see, become a huge enabler. 
In 2013, our, our very first install was into a house on the gas grid, mine. Yeah. Um, and, and, and What did you have in your house at the time? I had a gas boiler. Combi boiler? It was a gas, uh, what was it? A gas system boiler with a, with a, a nice cuboid, actually, as it happens, hot water tank. Oh. Okay. So it was um, a Glad Hill something or other. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we replaced it with a heat pump. And some heat batteries, because I, I wanted also to do space space heating with time shift. But actually, mm. the hot water application is really central to getting heat pumps deployed. The time shifted cases will become important when yeah. when the tariff structures, which really depend on on action, on 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 the complexities of regulation of the grid, yeah. when they catch up, they haven't really caught up, and they don't no. get reward individual consumers for making what I would term the right choices. Yeah. They, 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 they tend to reward flat consumption profiles, not, not, not the reality of something that aligns. Anyway, le- leaving that to one side, because I think that's kind of underimportant. Almost everything we've done since has been into homes that were on the, with heat pumps, has been into homes that were on the gas grid. That are, okay. You know, that are on the gas grid. Yeah. So, you know, we're into apartment blocks that had combi boilers in, and now have Kenza heat pumps, Sunamp heat batteries, and a shared ground loop. That that's that's in over two thousand apartments now in the UK, yeah. in Sunderland, in Leeds, coming soon in Newcastle, in London, in possibly actually maybe Edinburgh soon, um, depending on how something goes. Maybe yeah. I said that we may have to edit that out. But you know, <laughs> but that's your that's your Everest of an application, isn't it? That is a fantastic uh, application. I mean, it's really hard yeah. to take high rise blocks that have gas yeah. combi boilers and turn them into heat pump blocks, yeah. and, and we've done that. But we've also done it for individual homes that are on the gas yeah. in 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 huge numbers. Okay, I'm proud um, of that. But you didn't mention application zero, <laughs> Clara. Right. <laughs> you know, for for us actually. So far, the biggest seller is electric hot water. Just quite simply, mains electricity in, cold water comes into the heat battery, hot water comes out. It replaces a direct cylinder, um, and it does it in a quarter of the space. And it turns out that people love it. (laughs) Because of the space. Because of the space. Yeah. And, you know, they, 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 they almost certainly already had a hot water tank. Well, I can... I've, my guess is we've got some listeners in Germany that have houses with basements that are fully devoted to a heating system. Yeah. Uh, scratching their heads thinking, yeah. what's all this talk about space? We've got a whole <laughs> cellar where we have our heating system. Absolutely. But I know there are houses in Germany equally that have combi boilers and struggle with space. So uh, part of what I think the challenge and fascination with decarbonizing heat is a huge mixture of houses and heating systems we Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, you... can I just say, this does make it more difficult for us when we talk with German OEMs because yes. the people that run German OEMs are by and large averagely wealthy or above. They have a cellar and plenty of space. definitely <laughs> have a house with the big cellar, right? Yeah. They do not see the problem in their own lives. But no. if you talk to somebody from Korea or the Netherlands or Belgium yeah. or the it. UK or large swathes of the US, they yeah. understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to move quickly on to that third topic I mentioned before we get the Talking New Energy Crystal Wall out. So the third topic is routes to market here. 
Um, Clara, what, what's a challenge with routes to market for new heating technology? Well, the, the route to market for the heat sector is really dominated by uh, either via wholesalers or directly to installers. And that means that these two channels have a really important role to play when it comes to uh, introducing new technologies to the customer and especially installers since they, they have the customer relationship. And that was actually uh, confirmed by our latest customer research where over 70% of respondents said that they would be very or quite likely to turn to their installers for recommendations rather than any other source. Um, so consumer awareness is low, it's installers who say, oh, this is what you want. Yeah, I think especially for new technologies, customers are from, might be familiar with what they have, but they might not be familiar with any kind of alternatives. Yeah. Um, however, since many uh, installers might also be conservative when it comes to these new technologies, they're, they're, and they might not be great at selling a new technology or idea to the customer, um, it will definitely be challenging in the future. But we also see other players and influencers emerging. Um, for example, uh, energy companies and energy service providers who we also have an existing customer base and also have an interest in the flexibility values that these thermal storage uh, units okay. can provide. So that could be an alternative route to market in the future, a bigger route to market. Okay, and they mm -hmm. might be, once they've understood the technology, a bit less risk averse perhaps. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and they can see the benefits for them maybe more than the installer could as well. Yeah, okay, so the customer gets a space benefit, but the energy supplier can maybe get some of that flexibility benefit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so not an easy market, Andrew, for new technology. Um, briefly, uh, how are you going about that? Are you trying to drop it into existing channels? Are you developing new channels? Well, first of all, can I say I completely agree with Clara. I mean, th 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 there is no doubt that you've 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 hit the nail on the head with everything you've said there. Absolutely spot on. Um, we 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 did an experiment at the beginning with with being business to consumer by yeah. trying to you know basically because actually we needed to learn we needed to yeah. learn what customers wanted and, and you wanted to learn to, directly from to engage customers. with them we literally sold yeah. directly to individuals in their homes yeah, yeah. and and it's a it, it's a brave company that would choose that as their long term business model if they're also a manufacturer because they're quite they're quite it's quite a difficult path. And certainly, we we went we went from there to being one hundred percent business to business. Um, we we work with some great companies that go direct direct to customers uh, in one way and another. Uh, they, they're they're into you know big projects for housing associations. They're the customer is the housing association, but the tenants are the ultimate beneficiary. Uh, we are also working with other people who go direct to homes to sell to individuals. Um, we are working with utilities uh, and energy service providers, um, and I think that that area will 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 expand dramatically, and there will be novel business models in there. But a lot of what we do today is very traditional into distributors, because we've specifically configured our products. Our Thermino product range is configured to work like a hot water cylinder. At the okay. point of installation, uh, anybody that can install a hot water cylinder can, inst can install a Thermino product. And I think that's really important because it means we're a substitution play into those distribution channels. You know, we're, 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 we're not going to be cheaper, right? We're, we're a premium product, um, although we're not much of a premium in terms of price. We're a huge premium in terms of installability. 
it's so a forward, faster. A forward-thinking installer, Andrew, might look at your product on the shelves of a distributor. Yep. Uh, think, oh, I can do that. And, oh, that means it will make my conversation with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones a bit easier because I know they struggle for space. So, actually, I'll take this product along for them to look at. Yep, that's happening. Yeah, okay. So, you're... You're looking at multiple channels to market, right? Um, and part of that will involve brand awareness, uh, but part of it might not, I guess. If it's uh, Joe Bloggs heat pumps, if they branded it Joe Bloggs heat pumps plus Joe Bloggs special storage tank, for example, yep. would you mind? Uh, not, not only do we not mind, we do it today. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, you can, I mean, the, the very public one is Flamco uh, yeah. in the Netherlands. But and across Europe, uh, sell a Flextherm Eco product, uh, which is basically you know a a, a sun amp product under the hood, yeah. and that's well well known. Uh, but yeah. there are others, um, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit less visible, um, and there will be lots more. So yeah. we are we are completely open to white label, full OEM integration of our of our core technology deep inside the product um, yep. and even uh, for some people selling the plenty grade phase change material and licensing okay. the the core technological pieces yeah um, we're completely you yeah. know in, in a sense we're completely agnostic non whatever, the, be about whatever the best way it is to get your technology or product to market absolutely yeah partly because we don't we don't think there's time to hang around yeah, and I don't mean that from a business perspective. I mean that from a from a, a transition to the net zero yeah. perspective. Yeah. There isn't time yeah. to waste here. Yeah. Okay, fascinating. Um, let's move on now to the talking energy, uh, talking new energy crystal ball. And I'm going to set the dial for both of you this week to 2030, eight years time. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can answer it briefly, just in the interest of time, Andrew, can you describe in a nutshell SunAmp in the year 2030? Yep, and can. Clara, can you describe very briefly how widespread you think the use of advanced thermal storage will be in 2030? Um, Andrew, do you want to go first and then Clara? Okay, um, that's setting me up for a fall, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the market for hot water storage devices in 2030 30, I think was the reference yep. date, is going to be something in the order of 50 million units a year. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll be selling somewhere in the order of one to five million of those using the technology platform we're talking about. M many of them, maybe most of them, will not be under the SunAmp brand. Yeah. Um, SunAmp itself is probably going to have a thousand plus employees at that point. We'll be doing a billion plus of revenue per year. We'll be active across at least 20 countries we're already we're already active across nearly that many today um and we're likely to have three or four factories at least one in scotland uh one probably in china and one probably in the us and some smaller factories in other places some under license great well i hope you're not setting yourself up for a, a fall <laughs> andrew i hope that well you reach that or exceed that but that's uh uh, a great trajectory you're on and yeah wishing you the best of luck and success uh, on your way to that uh, that 2030 vision clara how about you uh advanced thermal storage in 2030 
Yeah, well, I mean, hoping and assuming that uh, low carbon heating is a lot more widespread than it is now, and nearly all of those appliances will require thermal storage. Yep. Uh, I think it's, it's, I can say with quite a lot of confidence that um, some kind of thermal storage will be in nearly every, every home. Um, and since if, if heat batteries, the cost of them can be brought slightly closer to those of traditional hot water cylinders and then the benefits they bring around flexibility, um, then I think there's, it's, um, it's very likely that a decent proportion of, of those low, low carbon heating systems will have heat batteries yeah. uh, in, in eight years. Which fits in with the sort of Andrews 50 million, yeah. one to five million being Sunat batteries. Yeah. Um, per year, I should say. Per year. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it sounds like heat batteries are going to be a part of our future heating transition and very possibly, very likely a big part of our future heat transition. If we're to decarbonize heat, we will need thermal storage and space and flexibility will be key issues in, um, in achieving that. Um, Andrew, thanks very much for your time and sharing your thoughts and experiences. Really appreciate that. A pleasure. And Clara, thanks for sharing your expertise today. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And uh, Clara, thank you for your expertise. I, I really <laughs> learned something as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's very sweet. <laughs> um, and as always, thanks to everyone for listening. We hope you've learned a bit about heat batteries and advanced thermal storage today. Maybe going back to your own home and looking at your heating system and having a look at space in your home. Who knows? Um, and look forward to welcoming you back to the episode next week. Thanks very much and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.